Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Chapter 64 of 10 Years Later. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ten Years Later, by Alexandre Dumont, Chapter 64, Madame's Four Chances. Anne of Austria had begged the young queen to pay her a visit. For some time past, suffering most acutely, and losing both her youth and beauty with that rapidity which signalizes the decline of women for whom life has been one long contest, Anne of Austria had, in addition to her physical sufferings, to experience the bitterness of being no longer held in any esteem, except as a surviving remembrance of the past, amidst the youthful beauties, wits, and influential forces of her court. Her physician's opinions, her mirror also, grieved her far less than the inexorable warnings which this society of the courtiers afforded, who, like rats in a ship, abandon the hold, into which on the very next voyage the water will infallibly penetrate, owing to the ravages of decay. Anne of Austria did not feel satisfied with the time her eldest son devoted to her. The king, a good son, more from affectation than from affection, had at first been in the habit of passing an hour in the morning and one in the evening with his mother. But, since he had himself undertaken the conduct of state affairs, the duration of the morning and evening's visits had been reduced by one half. And then, by degree, the morning visit had been suppressed altogether. They met at mass. The evening visit was replaced by a meeting, either at the king's assembly or at Madame's, which the queen attended obligingly enough, out of regard to her two sons. The result of this was, that Madame gradually acquired an immense influence over the court, which made her apartments the true royal place of meeting. This, Anne of Austria perceived, knowing herself to be very ill, and condemned by her sufferings to frequent retirement, she was distressed by the idea that the greatest part of her future days and evenings would pass away solitary, useless, and in despondency. She recalled with terror the isolation in which Cardinal Richelieu had formerly left her, those dreaded and insupportable evenings, during which, however, she had both youth and beauty, which are ever accompanied by hope, to console her. She next formed the project of transporting the court to her own apartments, and of attracting Madame, with her brilliant escort, to her gloomy and already sorrowful abode, where the widow of a king of France, and the mother of a king of France, was reduced to console, in her artificial widowhood, the weeping wife of a king of France. Anne began to reflect. She had intrigued a good deal in her life. In the good times past, when her youthful mind nursed projects that were, ultimately, invariably successful, she had by her side, to stimulate her ambition and her love, a friend of her own sex, more eager, more ambitious than herself, a friend who had loved her, a rare circumstance at courts, and whom some petty considerations had removed from her forever. But for many years past, except Madame la Motteville and la Molena, 
her Spanish nurse, a confidant in her character of countryman and woman too, who could boast of having given good advice to the queen? Who, too, among all the youthful heads there, could recall the past for her, that past in which alone she lived? Anne of Austria remembered Madame la Chevreuse, in the first place exiled, rather by her wish, than the king's, and then dying in exile, the wife of a gentleman of obscure birth and position. She asked herself what Madame la Chevreuse would have advised her to do in similar circumstances, in their mutual difficulties arising from their intrigues. And after serious reflection, it seemed as if the clever, subtle mind of her friend, full of experience and sound judgment, answered her in the well-remembered ironical tones. All the insignificant young people are poor and greedy of gain. They require gold and incomes to supply means of amusement. It is by interest you must gain them over. And Anne of Austria adopted this plan. Her purse was well filled, and she had at her disposal a considerable sum of money, which had been amassed by Mazarin for her, and lodged in a place of safety. She possessed the most magnificent jewels in France, and especially pearls of a size so large that they made the king sigh every time he saw them, because the pearls of his crown were like millet seed compared to them. Anne of Austria had neither beauty nor charms any longer at her disposal. She gave out, therefore, that her wealth was great, and as an inducement for others to visit her apartments, she let it be known that there were good gold crowns to be won at play, or that handsome presents were likely to be made on days when all went well with her or windfalls in the size of annuities which she had wrung from the king by entreaty, and thus she determined to maintain her credit. In the first place, she tried these means upon Madame, because to gain her consent was of more importance than anything else. Madame, notwithstanding the bold confidence which her wit and beauty inspired her, blindly ran head foremost into the net stretched out to catch her. Enriched by degrees by these presents and transfers of property, she took a fancy to inheritances by anticipation. Anne of Austria adopted the same means towards Monsieur, and even towards the king himself. She instituted lotteries in her apartments. The day on which the present chapter opens, invitations had been issued for a late supper in the Queen Mother's apartments, as she intended that two beautiful diamond bracelets of an exquisite workmanship should be put into a lottery. The medallions were antique cameos of the greatest value. The diamonds, in point of intrinsic value, did not represent a very considerable amount, but the originality and rarity of the workmanship was such that every one at court not only wished to possess the bracelets, but even to see the queen herself wear them, for on days she wore them, it was considered as a favor to be admitted to admire them in kissing her hands. The courtiers had, even with regard on the subject, adopted various expressions of gallantry to establish the aphorism that the bracelets would have been priceless in value if they had not been unfortunate enough to be placed in contact with arms as beautiful as the queen's. This compliment had been honored by a translation into all the languages of Europe, and numerous verses in Latin and French had been circulated on the subject. The day that Anne of Austria had selected for the lottery was a decisive moment. The king had not been near his mother for a couple of days. Madame, after the great scene of the dryads and naiads, was sulking by herself. It is true, the king's fit of resentment was over, but his mind was absorbingly occupied by a circumstance that raised him above the stormy disputes and giddy pleasures of the court. Anne of Austria affected a diversion by the announcement of the famous lottery to take place in her apartments on the following evening. With this object in view, she saw the young queen, whom, as we have already seen, she had invited to pay her a visit in the morning. "'I have good news to tell you,' she said to her. "'The king has been saying the most tender things about you. He is young, you know, and easily drawn away. But so long as you keep near me, he will not venture to keep away from you, to whom, besides, he is most warmly and affectionately attached.' I intend to have a lottery this evening, and shall expect to see you. I have heard, said the young queen, with a sort of timid reproach, 
that your majesty intends to put in the lottery those lovely bracelets whose rarity is so great that we ought not to allow them to pass out of the custody of the crown, even though there were no other reason than that they once belonged to you. My daughter, said Anne of Austria, who read the young queen's thoughts, and wished to console her for not having received the bracelets as a present, it is positively necessary that I should induce madame to pass her time in my apartments. Madame, said the young queen, blushing, of course. Would you not prefer to have a rival near you, whom you could watch and influence, to knowing the king is with her, always as ready to flirt as to be flirted with by her? The lottery I imposed is my means of attraction for the purpose. Do you blame me? Oh, no, returned Maria Theresa, clapping her hands with a childlike expression of delight. And you no longer regret, then, that I do not give you these bracelets, as I first intended to do? Oh, no, no! Very well. Make yourself look as beautiful as possible, that our supper may be very brilliant. The gayer you seem, the more charming you appear, and you will eclipse all the ladies present as much by your brilliancy as by your rank. Maria Theresa left full of delight. An hour afterwards, Anne of Austria received a visit from Madame, whom she covered with caresses, saying, Excellent news! The king is charmed with my lottery. But I, replied Madame, am not so greatly charmed. To see such beautiful bracelets on anyone's arms but yours or mine is what I cannot reconcile myself to. Well, well, said Anne of Austria, concealing by a smile of violent pang she had just experienced, do not look at things in the worst light immediately. Ah, oh, madame, fortune is blind, and I am told there are two hundred tickets. Quite as many as that. But you cannot surely forget that there can only be one winner. No doubt. But who will that be? Can you tell? said madame in despair. You remind me that I had a dream last night. My dreams are always good. I sleep so little. What was your dream? And are you suffering? No, said the queen, stifling with wonderful command the torture of a renewed attack of shooting pains in her bosom. I dreamed that the king won the bracelets. The king? You are going to ask me, I think, what the king could possibly do with the bracelets. Yes. And you would not add, perhaps, that it would be very fortunate if the king were really to win, for he would be obligated to give the bracelets to someone else. To restore them to you, for instance? In which case I should immediately give them away. For you do not think, I suppose, said the queen, laughing, that I have put these bracelets up to a lottery from necessity. My object was to give them without arousing anyone's jealousy. But if fortune will not get me out of my difficulty, well, I will teach fortune a lesson. And I know very well to whom I intend to offer the bracelets. These words were accompanied by so expressive a smile that Madame could not resist paying her by a grateful kiss. But, added Anne of Austria, do you not know, as well as I do, that if the king were to win the bracelets, he would not restore them to me? You mean he would give them to the queen? No, and for the very same reason that he would not give them back again to me, since, if I had wished to make the queen a present of them, I had no need of him for that purpose. Madame cast a side glance upon the bracelets, which, in their casket, were dazzlingly exposed to view upon a table close beside her. How beautiful they are, she said, sighing. But stay, Madame continued. We are quite forgetting that your majesty's dream was nothing but a dream. I should be very much surprised, returned Anne of Austria, if my dream were to deceive me. That has happened to me very seldom. We may look upon you as a prophetess, then? I have already said that I dream but very rarely. But the coincidence of my dream about this matter with my own views is extraordinary. It agrees so wonderfully with my own views and arrangements. What arrangements do you allude to? That you will get the bracelets, for instance. In that case, it will not be the king. Oh, said Anne of Austria, there is not such a very great distance between his majesty's heart and your own. 
for are you not his sister for whom he has a great regard there is not i repeat so very wide a distance that my dream can be pronounced false on that account come let us reckon up the chances in its favor i will count them in the first place we will begin with the dream if the king wins he is sure to give you the bracelets i admit that is one if you win them they are yours naturally that may be admitted also lastly if monsieur were to win them oh said madame laughing heartily he would give them to the chevalier de lorraine anne of austria laughed as heartily as her daughter-in-law so much so indeed that her sufferings again returned and made her turn suddenly pale in the very midst of her enjoyment what is the matter inquired madame terrified nothing nothing a pain in my side i have been laughing too much we were at the fourth chance i think i cannot see a fourth i beg your pardon i am not excluded from the chance of winning and if i be the winner you are sure of me oh thank you thank you exclaimed madame i hope that you look upon yourself as one whose chances are good and that my dream now begins to assure the solid outlines of reality well, yes indeed you give me both hope and confidence said madame and the bracelets won in this manner will be a hundred times more precious to me well then good-bye until this evening and the two princesses separated anne of austria after her daughter-in-law had left her said to herself as she examined the bracelets they are indeed precious since by their means this evening i shall have won over a heart to my side at the same time fathomed an important secret then turning towards a deserted recess in her room she said addressing vacancy is it not thus that you would have acted my poor chevrons yes yes i know it is and like a perfume of other fairer days her youth her imagination and her happiness seemed to be wafted towards the echo of this invocation end of chapter sixty four recording by todd